0: At LuckyLandSlots.com
1: Available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily.
2: What a difference nine days makes. Where on earth has that been from Manchester United? An outstanding performance last night has ignited the Eriksen Hag era after two false starts. And who better to light the fuse against than their fiercest rivals, Liverpool. United worked harder, passed better, showed more desire. Injury-stricken Liverpool looked disappointed and dejected. Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford's goals proving too much for Klopp's crestfallen side. Just how much of an issue does he have on his hands? The post-mortem from last night's crackling derby on the way shortly on Football Social Daily as well as the pre-assessment ahead of tonight's Carabao Cup affairs. Several Premier League sides in action this evening but perhaps the spotlight will shine brightest on Leicester City. They're away at League 2 Stockport County but is it a lose-lose situation for Brendan Rodgers tonight? Also, with only a matter of days to go until the closure of the transfer window we round up all the big stories in the Premier League. Alongside me on today's podcast, we've got Matt Pidd. How are you doing, Matt?
3: Morning, Neil. I'm all right, mate. How are you?
2: Very well, thanks. And probably the most happy of all three of us today... Manchester United fan
4: Joel Tudor is here too. Good morning Joel. It is a good morning finally. I forgot what it's like for your team to win a game the next day. Usually I'm dejected and calling out every single name under the sun but yeah I'm grinning like a Cheshire cat this morning and rightly so. (laughs) It
2: was a fantastic game last night between two of the most successful clubs in the history of English football. There's always the eyes of the world watching when these two meet particularly when it's In a game with the magnitude that we saw last night. Neither side having won a game going into that one. Just the third game of the season. The first time that these two teams have met in August in a top flight season since the 1970s. So many strange little permutations going into the game. And under the lights at Old Trafford, it didn't disappoint. Certain if you are of United persuasion. They've kick-started the Eric Tenag era. Third time of asking after two miserable defeats to Brentford and Brighton and a sensational display against Liverpool yesterday to put it right. So my question, first of all, Joel, what's changed from Brentford? What's Ten Hag done in that nine days?
4: Well, I think before this game going into it, there was just a lot of substance in terms of off the field things in terms of the Glazer protests. And then you had Liverpool going into the game pretty weak. You had United going into the game after an absolute embarrassment the the week before against Brentford. And it just felt to me as though he wouldn't allow anything of similar to happen again, but there had to be major change. And then when everybody saw the team sheet, it clearly showed what he thought about that Brentford game by dropping his captain, who's the guy who's meant to be leading your team, and dropping Cristiano Ronaldo, who obviously, you know, this big superstar, whenever he's dropped, it's a massive story. And I had to give massive credit to him because he knew that for the team, what was needed was to play, Again, to play against Liverpool's weaknesses rather than just catering for you know the the guys who have the bigger statuses and the bigger uh, roles in the team, and he's done that just for the team, and I've I've got to give massive credit to him. I just think as though after such an embarrassment last weekend, and judging by Liverpool's difficulties as well I just knew that it wasn't going to be this whitewash that a lot of people thought it was going to be just because they're in a pretty dismal situation as well you know not winning either of the first two games the midfield looks very weak I don't think their attack looks as fearful uh, sorry it has much fear going into it when you don't have Marnie on that left side and I just think that Ten Hag really played against Liverpool's weaknesses very, very well, especially in that midfield. Um, and I just thought that every single player in that United side just rose to the occasion massively. Like before the game, you had Jamie Carragher basically, basically saying how you know Alessandro Martinez is just never going to be a top defender under Ten Hag because of his height. All I've heard about, I've never heard um, someone's height be called out so much in the last two weeks. He was two really weeks. good last night, Joel, Lisandro Martinez. He's a giant last night. I realise why he's called the butcher, because he had his meat cleaver razor sharp last night, he didn't let anybody go near him, he was first to a man, and now I realise just how intelligent his game is, he's like Marcus Rojo, but with a football but, brain, but why, why he's is just it, very aggressive. Why has it
2: taken three games and a match against Liverpool for this to happen? We knew that Eric Tenag was gonna try and make the players run. They were out sprinted by Brentford by something like twelve or thirteen kilometres. And yet they come up against the Liverpool side, who are well known for how they use the press and they have a lot of energy, they get up and down the pitch. And they outran them, they outbattled them, they outfought them. I just I, I don't know what's changed. Like why did this not happen two or three fixtures ago? I mean, that's the the killer question for me. It's I think it's actually hard to know the answer. I think it shows that Ten Hag actually tactically is a very good coach because although Liverpool do have their injuries, I do think Manchester United were comfortably the better team and deserved the win. But was there an element, Matt, of it being do or die? I was lucky enough to be at Old Trafford last night and I got the feeling that if Manchester United didn't start well, for instance, last season at Old Trafford against Liverpool, they'd conceded in the first five minutes and they were 4-0 down at half-time. So, in a highly charged atmosphere like that, do you think it would have been a bit poisonous inside Old Trafford if United had conceded early? It's almost like they had to start well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. If Liverpool score after something like, you know, 5-10 minutes, then the atmosphere can just quickly change into toxicity and, you know, the players feed off that. But, like Joel was saying before, there was this just this, this, this air of just like... It was like the old United were back last night for like the biggest game of their season they needed to turn up last night it was pathetic against Brentford and it was pathetic against Brighton and the only way that they could have won last night is if they matched Liverpool for effort and determination which is something they have lacked in the last two league games from the the minute one it was a team possessed I mean Ten Hag started with you know the pace up front with Sancho with Alanga and with um, with Marcus Rashford, and you can just see from the off that United just wanted it more than Liverpool, and Liverpool were like a rabbit in the headlights. Trent Alexander-Arnold had an absolute nightmare against the Langer, and he didn't know what to do, and he was giving away stupid fouls, got himself booked early. Um Sancho, with such composure to finish the way he did, I mean, he had Virgil van Dijk, stood like Liam Gallagher, with his, his arms behind <laughs> his back, and he placed it perfectly in the corner, and this is a guy who hasn't scored since March, and he showed that composure. I think everyone was just on song for United last night. Like you was just talking about Martin, as there, Joel? He was he was a giant on the pitch last night. People going on about his height being five foot nine, but he was an absolute demon last night. And this is the reason why I think that. Maguire was dropped because I don't think you can expect Maguire to lead his team into a battle because that's what it was last night. It was a battle. I don't think you can expect Maguire to do that and to rise to the challenge the way he did. Obviously, there was the Casemiro stuff before the game as well, which got the which which picked the fans up and he would have been there last night, absolutely loving it. It was just a it was a perfect storm for United last night. Everything that they could have hoped for last night, they got they got running, they got determination, they got grit, and they got composure, especially with Rashford as well. Not scored at one on one with. Alisson, you know, with his his um his confidence recently, you might have expected him to spoon that over the bar, but he didn't. He placed it in the corner, like the old Rashford, the, Ra- the Rashford that had that composure and that ice cold killer instinct in front of goal. And Liverpool, I don't know what it is with him right now. Obviously, we know that they're struggling with suspensions and with injuries, but what you expect with Liverpool is that heavy metal style of football, and it just wasn't. The case last night, you know, the mentality monsters, as Clock calls them, they were mentality mice last night. They didn't want it. They, they was, there was nowhere absolutely to be seen last night. It was like they just shrunk as the game went on. Obviously, the atmosphere helps United greatly, but Liverpool seem to rise to these kind of occasions. Um Salah scored the consolation goal and he put... United under a bit of pressure for the last, you know, 10 minutes or so, but no, they, they didn't really look like doing much in the game, and Fabinho not starting was a weird one, you know, Fabinho's got that big game experience, he didn't start, you've got Harvey Elliott, and, you know, as good a player as he is, he's one for the future, um, and James Milner, as, you know, experienced as he is, he's not getting any younger, and and I don't, I don't understand why, it was just a weird one for, for Klopp last night, and Liverpool have not won, you know, for um, for three games now at the start of the season. It's a terrible start to the season, and I know it's only three games in like I've just said, but you're dropping points this early on. And Man City haven't lost yet. Obviously, we drew against Newcastle over the weekend, but we still picked a point up from a place where we was two goals down. So it was a massive, like, sort of like showing character. Liverpool aren't showing that so far. So if they don't start winning soon, you know are they out of the title race already I don't know maybe it's too early to say but it's definitely not the
2: ideal start for them and fair play to United last night it was absolutely fantastic you're right about Liverpool they just looked disjointed all over the place at times they do have injuries and suspensions like Matt says but how big a problem does Jurgen Klopp have now Joel because United have leapfrogged them in the table let's not you know, overreact here because Jurgen Klopp's been exceptional for Liverpool and he's dealt with injuries to his squad in the past, but that's the first defeat they've had in the league in 2022. It's their first loss since December the 28th, where they were beaten 1-0 by Leicester last season. So yes, they did look all at sea at times. How big is the problem that Jurgen Klopp faces at the moment?
4: Yeah, you've said it just there. It's no time to panic at all. If you've just had your first loss in the in the calendar year, I mean, there could be worse situations you could be could be in. But the difficulty Liverpool have, and it's just like Matt uh, alluded to. Then is that their competitors are are a team that very rarely drop points maybe against a different side, maybe if they were against, I don't know, the Chelsea side of 2015, for example, they could afford to maybe drop a few points here and there, but because City is so relentless throughout the season and very rarely slip up, it becomes a case where you're already getting to maybe October time and you're thinking, is the title done? Because there's very rarely um, a time where City go on 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 a run where they're really dropping points, but... I think for me, the, one of the biggest issues that hasn't been addressed for Liverpool is just the midfield because their main starting three is Thiago, Fabinho and maybe Jordan Henderson, for example. They're all over 30 now and that's not to say when you approach over 30, you finish very yeah. far from it. I mean, Fabinho it. and Thiago are still very good players, Joe Yeah, of course. They're still, they've still got a lot of good years ahead of them but you still need a bit of an engine in that midfield especially if you're a a team who plays the way in which Klopp wants to play which is high energy relentless pressing uh, the midfield works extremely hard to go man for man and the age will catch up with you when you start having to play that way every single time and you're not readdressing it and con- complete, uh, and consistently revamping that midfield and that's why I think neglecting it this season I know he said in his press conferences that they're only going to sign the right player they're not going to panic and you know what fair play because it's worked for them for the last five to six years but I think that that's going to really cost them this season but I always said at the start of this year uh when Sadio Mane left I think that that was going to be the key to their season in terms of how much of a loss he is because even not just his goals just his intelligence on the pitch that's not to say you know Luis Diaz is going to be a, a big player for Liverpool but Sadio Mane and Salah, they fit that system like an absolute jigsaw in terms of their runs in behind, their assists, they were just on song with each other, that forward line. And I just think, although they're not gonna struggle, I do think that he's just and you can you can you could ev- evidently see it yesterday. The the lack of you know creativity and the lack of just rhythm in the forward line. It just was not there. No there was no rhythm in the play, and I think that's credit to United for breaking it up a lot of the time, but um It's no time to panic, but I just think that they're not going to be anywhere near city this season. i've always said I think spurs will be the closest. Because they haven't addressed the key areas and they've basically weakened rather than strengthened in the summer.
2: All right. well we'll come on to Liverpool and where they are in the table in a second. But actually I was having a bit of an argument with a couple of mates on a WhatsApp group this morning about Liverpool's midfield. And they all said to me this morning, Liverpool's midfield is a shambles, it's shocking. Um, That's why they're not really performing well because it disrupts the system and the the rhythm of the team like what you say. But actually, in terms of squad depth, which is the argument we were having, I think people sometimes get confused between squad depth and squad quality. Manchester City have exceptional squad quality. Liverpool actually do have quite a lot of squad depth. If you think they play a three in midfield, they've got nine players who could potentially play in midfield. I won't go through them all, but, well, actually, maybe I will. You know, you've got the three that started last night, Henderson, Milner and... Uh, Harvey Elliott so there's three Fabinho, Thiago and Curtis Jones is another three so that's six so that's at least one in each position in midfield and then you've got Carvalho who's an option there Um, Naby Keita who's an option there who was injured last night and then there's one other who I can't think of Oxley chamberlain who's also injured so there you go there's your nine so you've got three players in each position in the middle of the park okay Carvalho and Elliott are young etc etc but that's not to say that Liverpool don't have depth I think it's the quality that they've got that looks to be the issue. So with that in mind, Matt, do you think they've been too slow with the signings? With Mane leaving, we knew that was going to be a big blow. Obviously, you know, Luis Diaz has come in and looked very, very good. But to get to Mane's level is going to take some time. Do Liverpool have that time? Nunez off suspended. Firmino looks like maybe his best years are just starting to to tail behind him. Have they been too slow? Have they needed to sign better quality in, in the midfield region in particular?
3: I think obviously they've they've lost mané like we were just talking about then and they've signed a completely different beast in Darwin Núñez and we was talk Joel was talking about um mané's link up play with the the front three and his intelligence Núñez is just a, a center forward and he's going to be some he's going to be like another Haaland the, the, the one that get, he's on the end of crosses the one that's in the six yard box gobbling up chances and the last season they was they were second best, obviously. They finished a point behind Sitter and Sitter lost players, they um addressed the Fernandinho issue. Obviously, Calvin Phillips has come in, he's gonna add more, you know, legs in the midfield. Liverpool do need that, and you you've hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, they've got squad depth, but the quality just doesn't seem to be there. If they lose a Tiago, who's gonna come in? And yeah. do the job. Is Harvey Elliott going to do that? No, he's not. Because no. He's, And no
2: re- disrespect to someone like Oxley chamberlain who's had a good career, but he's not going to come in and do what Thiago can do. Absolutely
3: can not. So they've got time, Liverpool, to go and try and address the situation. But is it too little too late already? I mean, it's it sounds absolutely farcical that we're actually discussing that. But Joel was saying about the the um, the standards that City and Liverpool have set over the last couple of seasons. No one very rarely drops points. Like we were just saying, Liverpool's first loss in 2022, the first loss since the 28th of December. These are the standards that we're talking about. So our city are going to drop a lot more points um, from now to the end of the season. Probably not. Liverpool, you know, it's already three games in and have not won one. They're on a minus goal difference. So this is something that Klopp and obviously the higher-ups at Liverpool are going to notice now and think, well, do we, do we try and throw money at the situation? Our team's going to h- hold them to ransom this is the thing, they know Liverpool have got the money to spend, are they going to do what, obviously, no disrespect, or what other clubs have done to Manchester United in the past, realise the desperation of the situation and go, hang on a minute, we'll put another £20 million on top of that because we know you really want him. And who else is out there at the moment? Who else can can Liverpool go and sign? Is there, is there many midfielders that are going to come in and change that for Liverpool right now? We don't know. But there, there is a situation at Liverpool that you have highlighted perfectly there. It isn't the fact that there's not squad depth, it's squad quality. And it's something that they do need to address. And obviously Klopp's going to be hoping that they can sort it between now and
2: uh, September 1st. The so then, is it three games in too early to say that Manchester City are now firmly favourites for the title? No, because...
3: Um, Joel spoke about Spurs there. I had Spurs finishing third in my predictions at the uh, start of the season, and obviously Liverpool for second. But Liverpool aren't looking like that right now. Spurs haven't necessarily played well. They've not lit, you know, the, the sky up. They've um, they've they've gone about the sort of the games quietly. They got a the point against Chelsea, where it didn't look like they was really in it that much. Obviously they played against Wolves over the weekend. They wasn't great, but they got the job done, and they're not, they're not conceding many. And Conte is a a winner. Conte as a manager is a winner. He's won the Premier League before for Chelsea. And like we were saying before about addressing situations, about bringing better players into your squad, that's what Conte has done. Conte has improved his team from last season. We all know there's this thing with Spurs being Spurs and bottle jobs. But there is going to come a time when that sort of starts to fade away and maybe this is the season for Tottenham. They're in the Champions League this season as well. So they're going to have more games to play. So that might have some sort of an inkling on where they finish in the league. But for me, I have I said Spurs were a team to not be underestimated this season and they've started as obviously they hope to mean to go on. Arsenal, another one that I thought were going to finish in the top four. They've started perfectly, three wins from three. Obviously, it's early days, but they look really good right now. Obviously, if they don't suffer injuries and that gravy train keeps rolling for them, who's to say that they won't be up there at the end of the season? So like I said, there's a lot of football still to be played, but... When you get these kind of starts that, you know, Tottenham's and Arsenal's have had and Cities have had, and Liverpool obviously have had, it's very hard to try and catch up once you've fallen so far behind because the margins are not,
2: not fine now. Yeah, they certainly are, but the margins were firmly in Manchester United's favour last night at Old Trafford. They pick up their first win in the Premier League under Eric Ten Hag. My argument would be, though, the feel-good factor is back for the time being, beating your rivals Liverpool under the lights at Old Trafford playing so well. But if they don't take that momentum into Southampton next week, you know, what happens then? That's my question. That's the sceptic in me. But what do you think? Let us know on social media at FSDpod is the Twitter handle if you want to get in touch with us there. Right, we're going to be talking about Carabao Cup action next because there are some games tonight. Leicester, Everton, Aston Villa all in action. We'll talk about it after this.
0: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
1: at LuckyLandSlots.com Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk
2: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. If you're new around here, then thanks for joining us. Don't forget if you hit subscribe or follow or whatever that button might be on whichever platform you listen to this show on, then you won't miss an episode. Again, we have new episodes every single day of the season, not just one full episode. We also got a little small one called Football Social Daily Shots, which rounds up all of the latest news from the Premier League in an afternoon that you might well have missed. And on yesterday's edition of Shots, we were discussing about the link of Pedro Neto, the Wolves winger who could possibly be on his way to Arsenal. So you can listen to that and the thoughts of Arsenal fan Fergal Brennan by searching for FSD Shots or just scrolling back in the timeline. Uh, We'll talk about Neto a little bit later on, but for now we're going to discuss the Carabao Cup because everyone's favourite cup competition. competition returns tonight um, for Premier League teams who the ones that aren't in Europe are entering it it tonight in the second round Um, it's divisional so it's split north and south, it's just the way things are done in the League Cup, there are some interesting clashes, Uh, Aston Villa uh, Southampton And Leicester are all away at lower league teams. In fact, pretty much all the Premier League sides, including Everton as well, are away at lower league teams. And it is Leicester's game that I actually wanted to focus on, lads, because they're playing Stockport County of League 2 tonight. League 2 against Premier League. With the way things are going at the moment for Leicester, Joel, is this game almost a lose-lose? Because they're expected to win. Even a weakened Leicester side in the form they're in should sweep past Stockport pretty comfortably and get into the next round of the cup but the morale and the confidence is a little bit low at the moment. The fans were getting a little bit restless at King Power Stadium last Saturday when they lost to Southampton in the Premier League. So is it a lose-lose in the sense that they're expected to win, so if they do, no one really cares, it's expected. But if they lose, it can quickly become panic stations. Honestly,
4: I think it's panic stations already for them because they're the only club in the top European leagues who've yet to make a signing. And when you you know, the likes of Wesley Fofana, who's on the brink of going to Chelsea, you've got James Madison, who's been linked left, right and centre with lots of different clubs, they're struggling in the Premier League at the moment. I think it's already time to panic for them. I just don't think there's any kind of promising signs from them that tells me they're going to go on a upward trajectory this season because after two seasons of trying to get into the Champions League, Uh, and just missing out and then obviously having to go into the conference league and now it looks as though they're just going to be even weaker than they are last season I think there's every right and I think all of their fans have every right to be a little worried about their side because if Wesley Fofana does end up leaving which I do think he will eventually if Chelsea manage to meet the valuation I think they're going to be in trouble next season and that's purely because they've just not strengthened they're the only club in the Premier League who have yet to strengthen the side they're going to be even weaker because Wesley Vafana is one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League and they're going to have £80 million on their hands which every other European club knows they have and it's five days until it will be probably five days till the deadline if it ends up getting done which means that every other club has zero time to replace, which means that it goes up by a premium. They're just in a really precarious situation at the moment, and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, because obviously Kasper Schmeichel's left. That's a really big figure to leave just before the the season starts. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a change of hands of ownership, or I don't know if there's something going on there where there's just not, it, there's not enough committed investment as there once was before because I think when you look at for example the recruitment Leicester were always the kind of leader on recruitment I'd say like six seven years ago where they had bringing in uh, Kante and Mares and Vardy and Harvey Barnes coming up from the academy and, and then now you just don't really see it. You had Pats and last season, you know, he's not really lit the house on fire. You've had Sumare, who was one of the most promising centre-mids in France. Now they're looking to sell him on again after just one year. There's something going wrong there behind the scenes, which is pretty evident. And it's quite confusing because Brighton are becoming the Leicester of old, which is being very smart in the market, making really... Uh, shrewd signings of you know really top quality players that not a lot of pl- uh, clubs have heard from. Now it just seems very scattergun, or not even scattergun, not at all at the moment. So I think there's something going on behind the scenes there which needs addressing really urgently because they're, they're on a really downward trajectory. And if Brendan Rodgers ends up leaving, it's going to leave them in a awful situation which I could see them end up getting dragged into that bottom 15 of the table which is going to be difficult for them to come out of if they end up going down that way yeah I mean it is the Caraval Cup
2: tonight so let's not kind of get too carried away here you'd think Leicester City will be able to get through but I say it's only the Carabao Cup, but this is a good opportunity, regardless of whether it's Stockport or not, Matt, to try and build some confidence. Because Leicester, they look short of it, so a win is a win and they're going to need some confidence moving into the next couple of fixtures. They've got Chelsea and then maybe a rejuvenated Manchester United in their next two games.
3: Absolutely. And obviously Stockport have got a free hit tonight. Stockport packed out Edgeley Park. The fans are going to be bang yeah. up for it's the first time they've been in the League Cup for what, over ten years. And a good little so atmosphere good. down there, there, uh, isn't it? It, it? it is a fantastic little atmosphere mm. down there. It's a great little ground. So what they're going to be facing tonight at Leicester is a team that have got no fear. The fans are going to be right, you know. On top of them, they're going to have to show. Well, we all know Brendan Rodgers uses the word character quite a lot, and they're going to have to show that tonight, regardless of what eleven that he plays and. Look, at the end of the day, Leicester, for the last six years, they've won the Premier League, they've won the FA Cup. You know, why not go try for the League Cup? Because we've seen in the past where teams' league form that's been indifferent, they've gone on a decent cut run and it's sort of like papered over the cracks until the following campaign. So if they can get a decent cut run and a trip to Wembley in February when, um, obviously, the finals played, it could, like, spur them on. You know, it could help them in the league. It could help keep them in that sort of, like, top 10, like... Rather than getting dragged into the like sort of bottom fifteen, like Joel just mentioned, it is it's a it's a trophy that I think is very very un- undervalued, and the teams that you've mentioned as well, like your Everton's, your Aston Villas, there are other teams that could. Go and try and win it this season. Why not try and win it? I mean, my club Manchester City was serial winners of it up until we got knocked out by West Ham last season. We value that trophy because it's a springboard and it's a habit. Winning becomes a habit. And if you can get, start getting that bug for lifting silverware that obviously Leicester have had like two in the last six years, why not go for the League Cup? It's, it's, it's a great little trophy and it's a fantastic opportunity for the fans to get a trip to Wembley in February.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think Leicester have a good history in this competition as well. They won it a couple of times, didn't they, in the early 2000s, which sort of gives good memories and good vibes to the supporters. But I think it is essential that they get the job done against Stockport tonight. Um, What about Brendan Rodgers, Joel? You talk about problems with signing players and you say that you can't really see them signing anyone at this late stage I don't think the fans would be too impressed and there was a few murmurs a couple of boos at full time on Saturday they played well in the first half against Southampton they went 1-0 up but they ended up losing 2-1 and they lost it six minutes from time and Shea Adams, who scored the goals for Southampton, was born in Leicester and a a Leicester fan as a kid, so that would certainly sting a little bit more with that result. But do you think Brendan Rodgers, who's a manager who has been successful with Leicester, that his future is in doubt? He seems pretty stony-faced and quite content to continue even through this tough period.
4: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds because I don't think they have a lack of quality where it means they're going to be in a relegation fight but it's more so a case of just mentality because you always see a lot of players when they hear of new players coming into the squad and it gives everyone a massive lift and when you're seeing the same players or probably less players obviously Schmeichel's left when you're seeing less players around you or the same players I feel like there'll be a lack of motivation going into the new season as if to say, well, what's the ambition next season then? What, what, what's coming from above to tell us that we want to kick on from next season? Because last season was pretty disappointing considering, you know, the two seasons before they were going for the Champions League spots consistently. So, you know, when you look at the likes of James Madison, for example, it's it's big, it's big, it's deeper than the surface these kind of issues because... You have to keep your top players motivated and have a desire to stay. And if you have the likes of James Madison looking now, thinking, "What? Well, what's the ambition? I'm in the peak. I'm coming into the peak of my career, and I'm not seeing any improvement around me. What? What's? The, what's to say that I should stay here? And I think for Brendan Rodgers, he might even be thinking the exact same thing, which is, I think he's happy in his position and he's comfortable knowing that you know he's got a pretty good side under him. But there will come to a point where During the season, they'll be under, they'll be in the trenches, and they're gonna be wondering why they're in that position. That's because they haven't strengthened, Um, and I think it's gonna take a lot for him to leave. But it could reach that stage in the season where I think they're gonna be struggling so much, and they have such lack of reinforcements that something will have to give one way, one way or the other. So it's gonna be interesting to see. But I think the worst thing for Leicester and their owners to do is get rid of him, you know, further down the line. I don't think it will get to that point, but Brendan Rodgers needs to have backing because him as a manager, he's ambitious as well and he's going to want to see some change and he's going to want to see some improvement. But when you've got no new signings, I mean, that kind of... It's like an indirect message as if to say, this season, I'm sorry guys, but we're not going to really be kicking on from last season and that just demotivates everyone, so... Let's see how it goes, but I think this is a good, a great way to just keep the motivation going because like you both said, it's a cup competition, it's that opportunity to get to Wembley which doesn't happen often, so why not just go for it like they did in the Conference League last season.
2: Well Aston Villa are away at Bolton, Southampton away at Cambridge United tonight and Everton on their travels at Fleetwood as well as Stockport of course hosting Leicester City. Do you think we will see an upset somewhere this evening Matt? If you look at these games and these fixtures do you think that they're going to be a a potential banana skin anywhere to use an old cliche?
3: I think Villa going to Bolton could be trickier. Obviously, they're not in the best form themselves. And this question's being asked of Steven Gerrard. There's um, this stat that Steven Gerrard's got a worse record than Gary Neville had at Valencia. <laughs> so um, <laughs> he's going to need to sort that out. And like I mentioned before, um, Joel started speaking, then it's, it's, it's a chance for these clubs to go and get some silverware and a chance to go to Wembley. So they're gonna to need to be at it tonight again. Bolton Wanderers, are former sort of like Premier League like staple, you know, and they they, mm. they they've been away for a long, long time. And you know, to get a, a scalp like Aston Villa, or, or obviously at home, you know, that's gonna be um, again. It's a, it's a win win. It's a win win for them tonight. Obviously, they've got nothing to lose, so they're gonna to have to go for it. And I, I think that's the one that stands out to me the most. Villa going away
2: to Bolton. What about you, Joel? Do you think Stockport Leicester's the biggest potential upset here, or are you with Matt and think that Bolton's? game against Aston Villa could potentially score an upset as well. No,
4: I definitely do think that Stockport can strike while the iron's hot in terms of getting Leicester while they're weak um So that would be a massive one for them if they can pull that off. I do think Newport County have a good chance there as well tonight, now. Uh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no chance. Well, to be fair, I will tell you this. Um, I've watched a lot of Portsmouth matches in my life and I've been to a lot of grounds watching the team. And one of the worst games in living memory that I have came about 10 years ago away at Newport and we were 3-0 down after about 25 minutes and in that away end it's uncovered it's like a temporary stand it's a rugby ground basically Newport Stadium Rodney
4: Parade so well let's see if lightning strikes twice then tonight
2: let's hope for Pompey to get through against Newport and then we can take on Manchester United in the next round and knock you out Joel that would be great Um, (laughs) right. right. (laughs) some big games tonight in the Caraval Cup particularly for those lower league sides taking on Premier League opposition I'm sure if there are any upsets we'll discuss them on tomorrow's episode Of Football Social Daily, where we'll we'll also be answering your questions. On a Wednesday, it's AQA, which stands for Any Questions Answered. And if you've got any for the lads and you want them answered on the podcast, then get in touch with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook and also our new Twitter handle, which is at Pod. Now, only a matter of days to go until the transfer window closes. We've already spoken about how some sides need some surgery to their team. Chelsea, though, they just won't stop trying to get players in we'll talk about them next in the transfer roundup on football social daily
0: football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk judy was boring hello
1: then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
2: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. I've got Matt Pid and Joel Tudor alongside me. And as is often the case in August during a top flight season, we're going to be talking about transfers. And as has been the case for the last, what, 23 days of this month? We're going to be talking about Chelsea because they always seem to be on the back pages. So many players they've been linked with. They've signed a fair few as well, the likes of Koulibaly and Kukurea and Raheem Sterling. But now it's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, the former Arsenal striker who's now at Barcelona, or Everton's Anthony Gordon, who are the most likely signings. Now we've seen Gordon and a bid for 45 million pounds for him be rejected by Everton, Gordon's current club. And as for Aubameyang, it's looking a little bit less on around 15 to 20 million. But of course, Barcelona, we know, are going to try and squeeze every penny possible out of any potential sales that they have. So out of Aubameyang and Gordon, Matt, who's the most likely? Who do you think Chelsea need more and why? I mean, the Anthony Gordon
3: one just doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. And apparently they're coming back with a 60 million pound offer. So we'll see where that one goes. Abamyang, obviously he's 33 years old. He scored 68 in 128 games for Arsenal, so he's got the the experience there. Obviously, he's he's he knows London very well as well. Um, but the thing with Abamyang was you used to rely a lot on his pace, but he's now 33 and he's he's losing that pace every single year that he's playing football. So. I, it's it's weird. It's like they're not with Chelsea. They just they just seem to be throwing money at sort of just random random players and seeing which one comes off. But if you ask me, which one would make more sense than the other? It'd be the Bamiang one because I can't. Why where would Anthony Gordon play in that in that team? I can't understand where he where he would fit in because they've already got decent players in in that that role that he plays. They've already got good players that can that can dribble at players. That's what Anthony Gordon relies most on. He's running at players and Aubameyang has that sort of experience up top which maybe if we're going to start nitpicking maybe Chelsea need a little bit more sort of like a clinical edge in front of goal we we know Aubameyang is capable of scoring goals in the Premier League he did so very well at Arsenal so it's it's just a strange one Aubameyang coming from Barcelona back, back to the Premier League at Chelsea it's not something that I saw it coming, but no, I think Chelsea and Barcelona both having very, very weird sort of times in the transfer market, making very, very weird choices. So, yeah, nothing's beyond the realms of possibility with those two right now. But, yeah, if you ask me which one made more sense than the other, I'd say a Bamiang over Gordon. Um, if Gordon actually sort of went to Chelsea, I think it could possibly, you know, be the beginning of the end for him because we've seen it with players in the past that have gone to Chelsea far too soon in the career when he could have stayed at their club for a little bit longer and gained more experience and became a better player all round, Because if he goes to Chelsea Garden and it doesn't work out for him, his confidence could be shot and that could be the, the end for him. We see it with Ross Barkley when he went to Chelsea, do you know what I mean? He was one of England's most talented midfield prospects. Like People were talking about him when at a young age as being like the next gas going and then look what happened to him. So I think Anthony Garden really needs to just watch his step maybe stay at Everton for a couple more seasons, help them get back up to the table, maybe try and help them get back into Europe because they've got a new stadium being built. There's this sort of good feeling around that. Um, Things aren't really happening for them on the pitch at the moment, but I have faith that Frank Lampard could turn things around there. But he does need to keep his best players at the club and Anthony Gardner is one of
2: them. I just wonder whether if they come back with a £60 million bid, that could be too good to refuse for Everton, particularly as they need a striker to kind of supplement the injury-prone Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who is obviously their first choice centre-forward ahead of Solomon Rondon, but Rondon's just not up to it, is he? So they need someone else in that position, I think, up front to play matches. And they will play matches because Calvert-Lewin spends a lot of time on the sidelines. Okay then, so Chelsea, Aubameyang, Gordon... Which one could end up at the club? Who knows? But what about Aston Villa? They were supposed to be signing Watford's Ismail Assar. But that deal broke down, Joel. Do you think someone like Palace could sweep for him now? Instead, there are a few murmurings I've seen that that could be on the cards. He obviously played well for Watford last season, even though they were relegated. I've heard some Liverpool fans say that they'd be interested in Ismail Assar as well. But he won't be going to Villa. What do you make of the whole scenario?
4: It's a bit of a strange one, the way it's all unfolded and how... The deal actually collapsed. It seemed as though it seemed as though he was ready to go on a twenty-five million pound deal, and then suddenly there was objections with the players going in return. I think Cameron Archer was meant to go in return, and there was some objections to that. And then Steven Gerrard had reservations about the deal. It just seemed a, vi- a very like not all of the play, not all of the people who actually wanted him were in harmony in terms of actually wanting him in the first place. Um, But Ismail Asai, he's been a player who's been on the lips of a lot of big clubs for, it feels like, a number of years now, ever since Watford first signed him, really, and obviously while he's been in the Senegal team. Um, I think it'll be a shrewd signing, especially for Palace, but they've got such a strong front three at the moment that it'd be so hard to displace any of them. You've got Michael Elise and Zaha, who seem like they can't be moved. You've got uh, Eze, who I really, really like. I think he's such a... He just reminds me of like a street footballer, the way in which he plays. He just plays with such a joy on the pitch, where you don't really see that many... I feel like football's gone very robotic, whereas he kind of changes the status quo a little bit when he's on the pitch. And then obviously Edson Edouard, um up front. But I think with this one... It's it's a it's a difficult one difficult one to call because I think twenty-five million is actually a pretty fair price for someone of his quality. He's still only young as well. Got thirteen goals in thirty nine games for Watford last season, which is a decent return in the championship for a winger. Um but yeah, I I think I just think for Palace if they can get him, it's just going to strengthen them even more. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to finish in a really strong position next season. Uh, they've impressed me already. I think Patrick Vieira is going strength to strength in his managerial um, capabilities. I think his team, the team is building, especially after Conor Gallagher's left that massive void in the midfield. I think he's really kind of get gaped that hole really nicely so i think it, if anything it's going to strengthen them isn't it and i've been so impressed with palace yeah and i think czech DeCore has come in and actually
2: filled that gallagher void quite well so um the signings have been have been pretty good actually ishmael Asar i think is a good player um interesting as to why that villa deal broke down but maybe there are other premier league clubs interested in the Watford man, final one we're going to talk about is something we spoke about on yesterday's episode of Football Social Daily Shots, which is our short form podcast, only five or six minutes long, running you through all of the news from that afternoon in the top flight. And yesterday we were talking about the links of Pedro Neto, the Wolves player, to Arsenal. Um, Fergal Brennan was speaking on Shots yesterday. He's an Arsenal fan, part of the FSD team Matt, and he was saying that he doesn't think Neto's quite ready to make that step up to Arsenal. I wasn't sure I agreed with Fergal in that instance. What do you think? Do you think he's got the capabilities to come into an Arsenal side who have got their sights set on big things this season?
3: It's crazy with Pedro Neto because it feels like he's been around for ages and he's only 22 years old. Um, But if you look at Arsenal's transfer policy now... They're after these young players. These players that are going to come in and only improve under Arteta. Arteta wants to work with young and talented players and mould them and build them into this philosophy that obviously he's picked up from Pep Guardiola because we've seen it with Arsenal now the way they like to play. They like to press. They like to keep the ball moving. They like to play with positivity and they like to mix it up with, um, with tough defending as well and I think he'd fit in there. I, I agree with you there. Now, I think, I think he'd fit right in because he plays with a lot of flair as well. He's got he's got a bit of something about him, a little bit of some, something special about him. And he's got a lot of talent there to, to work with if he goes there, Arteta. Like I say, he's only 22 years old. He's got bags and bags of years ahead of him now to go and improve. And, you know, it's not like the Anthony Garden situation. I think it would be the right time for him to move because he, like I said it feels like he's been at Wolves for, for ages I don't know how long he's actually been there for but obviously you no know, Portuguese thing with Wolves right now they've got that many Portuguese players it's hard to keep track with just who's been there for the longest but I think he could go there to Arsenal and he could be a part of a really good squad there because Arsenal are a club at the moment that are only looking forward to, like this time last year they was. You know, it was absolute panic stations. They'd lost the first three Premier League games. They'd not scored a goal. Questions were being asked, you know. And 12 months later, now look at them, they're the only team in the league that have won three for three. There's a, just a great feeling around the club at the moment. There's this feeling that something could be happening this season at Arsenal. They could be not only just challenging for the top four. I've heard a few people saying if Arsenal carry on, they could be in with a shout for for the Premier League. But that's obviously, it's, it's a, a stretch Maybe too far for them, in my opinion. I have got them finishing fourth, but you know we'll see. And adding a player like Pedro Neto to that squad can only sort of improve their chances of actually finishing in um, the Champions League
2: places this season. I really like Pedro Neto. I think he's an exciting young player. I think that he is someone who works hard for the team as well as showing that quality in the final third. Yeah, he
3: fits the squad. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, and also easy to forget that he had quite a serious injury, which kept him out for, I think, close to a year. Um, at the back end of not last season, the season before, I think he picked up a nasty injury and it's kept him out for a while. But certainly, Arsenal is a is a side that have hit quite well with their recruitment this summer so who knows i think the key for me from an arsenal perspective is when they lose their first game of the season how are they going to react because when they lost games last year they tended to lose them in clusters i remember at the end of the season didn't they lost the spurs and i think they lost another couple of games did they lose the palace and southampton newcastle as well yeah so they, they lost some games in clusters sort of groups of three and then they'd win and then they'd go on an unbeaten run but i think if they do want to be more consistent they need to just make sure they react better when they do lose fixtures all right then that's it for another episode of football social daily we'll be back again tomorrow um matt and joel two sides of manchester coming together on today's podcast and both pretty happy with the result last night it's not often that happens no it was honestly
3: (laughs) Niall, it was a win-win for me last night because if united got beat they're still in the mud obviously United win Liverpool have dropped more points in the draw no one won so I was sat there last night in a very very rare very rare situation where whatever happened I was going to be happy but yeah fair play to United last night it turned up
2: don't forget you can hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another episode of this podcast again we will be back again tomorrow and we'll also be back again later with shots rounding up the day's Premier League news in a short little bite-sized show but from myself Matt and Joel that is it and we'll speak to you again tomorrow on FSD